The Fujicast is an independent loading zone production. Stand by everyone for uh, maximum flippancy from Kev. Um, it's, it's just about to arrive at platform nine and three quarters. We've been watching the Harry Potter films, as you can tell. Hmm. Um, right, we've, we've got to a stage, Kev, where um, that's the end of this show. That's There's no more Fujicast. After this week, it's done. Finished. Out yep, of this. that's it. No, I'm going. Yeah. Yeah, it's all over. It's all over. Unless... <laughs> unless there's one way that we can save this show just one way lots of money and that is <laughs> oh no lots of money questions oh if you yes. do not send us your questions <laughs> we ain't got nothing to answer back with yes that's the whole point about this show it's all about yes. questions we've got enough yes. questions for this week kev but after that next week yep. uh, i mean uh, it's you're in the diary i've got kev kev diary but yep. um i might go and Walk the dog, which we don't have. Instead, you have to send me Git, and I could go and walk Git for a little while. Um, we need questions, people, and also <laughs> we obviously do have the Facebook group where lots of questions go oh, on yes. there, and we do dip in and out of that, and that is absolutely fine. And we do not want to stop you doing that. However, always be aware that you can send us an email via the shiny website or via the email click at futurecast.co.uk, or you could even just send us a letter in the post. Does what? not matter. No. Yes, and uh, it doesn't even have to be about feature film cameras. All right. It doesn't have to be about no, tech. It no, can be about business. No. It can be about photography. It can be about weddings. It can be about anything. Uh, uh, anything. Otherwise, next week, I'm walking, get the dog. The Fujicast. That's what's happened. You haven't sent him to me. You did promise last week you are going to wrap him up and send him down, but he didn't arrive. You I've been looking at the one him today. Really? Not what? after what he's just done. What's he no. just done? No, I'm not telling you. Oh, no, he's not done another one of those things where he just... <laughs> does what dogs do in the middle of the kitchen says you're not letting me out so i just help myself well yes quite oh no not one of those moments is it he's lying in front of the fire the one the good thing about being at home is that i can sit in my in my living room and have a roaring open fire which is very nice is that what you've got now you've got a roaring open fire behind you as the podcast goes on yeah Oh. Yeah, Gemma bless her. She ordered. Um, she said, I've, "I've ordered some logs, which uh, which should last us a couple of weeks." Great. Oh. Uh, she ordered one cubic meter, and I, I said to her, <laughs> uh, "You, that's a lot of logs." No, it'll be fine. We, we'll be able to put it under in the log hatch. Uh, it turned up on the back of a massive lorry. <laughs> so oh. we, we have got we've got enough logs to last until. <laughs> 2025. If you want to keep warm, just go around to the Mullins. That's where. They're everywhere. That's where it's to like, keep warm. Uh, it's like a Finnish sauna house in here. We've got wood everywhere. <laughs> well, today you and your questions uh, from our electronic mailbag. Yes, we have enough for this week, and of course, uh, also the the Fujicast private Facebook group. We'll dip into there. Uh, as Kev said, you don't have to be a Fuji film shooter to be a uh, to be a, a feel a part of this show. Um, thank you to our friends who have now supported us on Patreon. We um, we haven't meant we don't, I don't think we mentioned you last week, but for the price of a coffee, keeps the show growing, but most importantly, actually going. And a guest, well, um, around about shy of four months ago, I spoke to a uh, photographer called Ian Traherne who I'd seen featured on the BBC, and he is the, uh, well, the self-titled. Um, is it self-titled, or is it, I, th- I think uh, initially he wasn't too keen on the title, but he sort of assumed it now, the, the blind photographer. Kev, um, Ian can only see, with, uh, well, he's got 95% blindness, 5% uh, vision, and, and even that is, um, is, is gradually disappearing, and he's profoundly deaf. 
Um, oh. but, but the pictures and the stories that he produces are great. Now, I just thought, actually, it might be a treat to... I've re-edited it because we had a, a longer sort of serial um, series thing around it. So I've re-edited it in sort of Fujicast um, fashion because I know there's Fujicast listeners who don't listen to Photography Daily and I thought that might be a bit of a treat. Before we start into today, though, Kev, this month we've been supported by our good friends at Sprout Studio. And if you're thinking, hang about... Things are getting serious now. I need to get my business in order for 2021 so I can kick 2020 right into touch. Here's something your business could certainly benefit from, wherever you are in the world. Sprout Studio is an all-in-one studio management suite built for photographers by photographers. You get your CRM, galleries, email marketing, scheduling and bookkeeping all in one place. My name is Brian Capricci, and I'm a Fuji photographer, having photographed weddings and portraits for 15 years now. I'm also the CEO and founder here at Sprout Studio. This Black Friday, not only can you save, but we've gathered everything you need to redo 2020 and start next year on the right foot. Visit SproutRedo.com slash podcast to learn more today. And of course, we'll have a, a nice link for you for Sprout Studio on the fujicast.co.uk show page for today. So make sure you visit. Right, who's going to do the uh, the first question? Oh, oh who's the, uh, the book of the week, by the way, Kev? The book of the week is uh, John Chillingworth um, and his pictures from the Picture Post. Ooh, nice wow. little book. Talk nice. about that later. All right, look forward to that. Right, you go first with the questions, uh, Kev. We're, we're still remote, of course, um, for, uh, for, for the foreseeable until we're allowed to be in the same room together, obviously, in the same studio together. But... Uh, um, you, you go for it. <laughs> if you can see the questions. I have to, we were talking about this off air. I've got this massive microphone in front of me and because I'm using the laptop, <laughs> uh, it's very difficult. Well, Kev, um, let me explain this. I, I, it was, it was my Christmas present to you last year, I think, wasn't it? That's I, right. Yeah. Give, give me this big fluffy thing. I bought Kev this huge, it's like a huge foam. It's almost, I mean, it must be at least a foot wide, maybe a little bit more. And, and it essentially it sits over the top of the microphone you've got. And it and it it should cut down the uh, the the echo in the room. That's the idea of it. It's it's mm. it's more than just a, a you know a, a microphone windshield. It's it's kind of like supposed to cut out the echo as well. But the problem with it with it is that you can't actually see around it to see the screen. No, it's and huge. I, <laughs> what they should do on this thing to make it more interesting is have a picture on it or something. What of? You know, something, well, I don't know, anything to look at. I'm just looking at a big black circle. Gillian Anderson's my current favourite. I mean, you, you could have your... that a bit, a bit, Look a bit like Gillian Anderson's head. <laughs> <laughs> my microphone is that large, Kev. Insert your favourite... Um, actor um, actress whatever gender here but should we move on with the questions before we get in trouble right first question this is from tim yeah he says g'day kevin neil a couple of technical questions for fujifilm technical staff well we're not technical staff but maybe we can we can give our thoughts at yeah, least yeah and the question is will fujifilm be adopting the future of H-E-I-F, which is, for those in the know, high-efficiency image format, well, glad you said uh, while retaining JPEG and RAW as options. If they do support it, will the Fujifilm presets be able to be applied to the H-E-I-F output? Hmm. <laughs> what do you think about that then, Neil? <laughs> you lost me at whatever the first word in that email was. 
Okay, so uh, you 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 probably actually are using HEIF. You may not even know it in your Apple phones because I think they were the first ones. Apple were the first uh, ones to support it. Yes, I do. Yeah, in, uh, in in their in their camera phones. So HEIF is a format. It is part of the JPEG consortium. Um, or is it? Uh, I think it's the MPEG consortium. So they, it, it, it's a compressed version of a file, and it does seem to be taken off, and a few more um, places are using it. However, saying that, I did have a quick gander on Wikipedia about this this morning, and whilst people like Apple and Adobe are supporting it, there's not much more. You know, there's not there's not a lot more going on. Microsoft have um, released a uh, an update to Windows 10, so you can look at HEIF files there. And I would say, until it becomes the standard, which it may well do in the future, then I doubt it will be the you know the format of choice for mm-hmm. for many cameras. But saying that, that's just my opinion, my thoughts. Um, you know, it is open. It's open technology. So unlike DNG. Uh, the DNG format, which um, is still controlled by Adobe, even though it was uh, supposed to be released by them, uh, HIF is is an open consortium. So it has more of a chance of being um, taken on board by all of the other companies. I I wouldn't imagine, I mean, I may well be wrong, but I wouldn't imagine it's it's number one on the list of the to-do list in uh, in Tokyo on Fuji Films. Mm. They've got this little whiteboard on the on the wall, you know, number one. Number two, number three. Is there a board that says we will consider? Because I know you always say they never say no. We shall consider. We shall consider. Is there a we we shall consider board? We we shall consider, yeah. It's got all of my ideas on it. (laughs) (laughs) It's your very Uh, special Kevin Mullins corner. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that's the answer. I, I well, that's my my thoughts on it. I really don't know. Um, maybe if Andreas ever listens to the show or, or Carl or anybody the the guys at Feature Film UK might have a, a different opinion on that. Yeah. Um, they are in the Facebook group, so maybe they will dip in. Um, but if they do, also let me know anything different. I shall um, we shall mention it next week or well, no, there might not be one next week. No, that's next right. Week, I might, we might be walking the dog. Are we allowed to be together this time next week? Uh, is is no. No, is it still closed? Are we not well, quite, it December depends what 7th. you mean by be together. So the 2nd of December, I think, yeah. is um, in, I don't know, about 11 days' time, isn't it? Um, however, on, where are we? <laughs> y- you are allowed to walk the dogs with somebody else from a different household. You can do that now. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. So we could potentially be together. Oh, we could, yeah outside yeah not allowed to go in your garden though no i'm allowed to walk along the street and you know you can you can walk the dogs together but heaven forbid if i was to step into your garden <laughs> that's not allowed the alarms would go off kev the alarms would go because we all know that coronavirus only hangs around in gardens well it's sat Doesn't out there hang the, around yeah, on the street i can see it it's sat in it's sat in the seat just out there i know we shouldn't get flipping about it obviously but yeah it's one of those oh consistency things isn't it yeah so anyway um mm. we, yeah uh, <laughs> i don't, <laughs> I don't know maybe yes no whoever knows, whoever uh, knows. but yeah it's the, so the heif is a format that's uh that's pretty good. It is good. This one's been hanging around for quite a while, actually. Wayne Lorimer. Kia Ora, chaps, from New Zealand. Love the podcast, yada, yada, yada. Your banter always makes me laugh out loud. It's going to be a bit tricky because I often listen at work. I shoot with a Fuji XE2. Absolutely love it. Staunch SLR style user across uh, 30 years, but I also love the film recipes to get the filmic look uh, like I want straight out of camera. I realise that the XE2 is an old camera now with an X-Trans 2 sensor, so I'm somewhat limited with the film simulation parameters I can set. 
A lot of the recipes that I've seen online, they're created specifically for the X-Trans 2 sensor. Tweak the white balance colour to better replicate the colours of the films that they're emulating. However, on the XE2, the white balance change seems to be global. In the, if I change the hues in the white balance setting, it changes all the film simulations. Can't seem to save different white balance hue changes for individual film recipes on the XE2 with a question mark. Am I doing something wrong, Kev? Or is this a limitation of the X-Trans 2 sensor and custom settings in the XC2? Keep yeah, up the fantastic you just, you, work. You just can't do it on the XC2. No, no, you could do it on X-Pro3, XT4, that kind of stuff. But uh, yeah, X100V, XC2, nope, cannot do that customization. Sorry about that. Certainly, uh, yeah. Uh, my, but it's a great camera, that. The XC2, that was the first XE camera that I did buy. Yeah. And, uh, do you still and I, have it? It was Ace. Do you still it, have it? It is a very good camera. Mm, yeah, I have. Because yeah. I did sell a load of stuff before before the first lockdown. And I think, yeah, I do still have it. Because I never got an XE3. I got an XE2. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I do still have it. Yeah. Um, well, that one was answered straight away, so I've got another one. Mike Wooten. Wedding awards? Question mark. Interesting. What are everyone's thoughts? I know that the 2020 wedding awards run by a company in Australia recently listed winners in different categories. On investigation, I find some had not traded for a year. I think, Kevin, Neil, you've discussed this a while back on your podcast, so thoughts again. Do wedding awards mean nothing? Question mark. Hmm. Well, your thoughts. Do you know what? I haven't entered a wedding awards for a long, long time. The reason I didn't enter was not because I didn't win, because that would make me sound like a bad loser. But the same, uh, it, it seemed to me that the judging uh, favoured one, one style of wedding photography and one style only, which seemed to be um, it's sort of the very trendy new wave and, and, and nothing else really made the grade. And I, I just, it just felt to me like it was judged by people of one, of one genre of wedding photography and with very little, um, very little appreciation of anything outside that genre. Yeah. I mean, I suppose there's two angles to this question from um, Mike. It, it's do clients, appreciate awards well let's deal with that one first then okay um i don't th i don't think they care i don't know i think it gives you some credibility on your i think it used to give you more credibility but everybody's everybody's an award winner these days yeah just look at a, award winning this award winning that and what what that's done really is it's just watered the whole purpose behind them down and and it, it's just become well i wouldn't want to say irrelevant because 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 I don't think it's irrelevant. It shows, obviously, that you've, you know, you've applied yourself. But I wonder whether they have the credibility. And I, I just, I think, I think your, your clients probably wonder that as well now. Well, I, I, I mean, don't forget a client, a wedding client specifically, has no idea. So, you know, they get up, they, they get married, they get engaged, and then they enter the wedding bubble. Up until that point, they've never yeah. been in the wedding bubble, so yeah. they have no idea about you know, awards and styles and things like that. So they stumble across a website and let's give two scenarios. It's a website with really shit wedding pictures on it, but says uh, award winning. Um, and then they, they go to another website with really good pictures, but doesn't have award winning on it. Which one are they going to choose? Well, I'd like to think they'd choose the latter. They're going to go for, what, for, for what's made them, um, what's made their experience sort of interesting when they visited the website or made them feel more emotional. 
Correct, but of course, if they're you know if it's if it's a toss up between two uh, two potential photographers and and one is laden with awards and you know and 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 the images are both very good and they're they're I mean and are and then perhaps it would tilt the swing so to speak is it a swing mm. no seesaw tilt the seesaw <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm rubbish at those kind of statements um, Kevism <laughs> it is a Kevism yeah uh, so yeah I mean. I don't want to be negative about awards because I've entered them in the past. I also, like you, haven't entered one for a long time. Um, I judged them for a long time. And, uh, you know, it's it's hard because I feel like, look, we all have to make money and we all have to earn a living. And a lot of these award companies are there to basically earn money and yeah. make a living. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that intrinsically. However, I feel like if you just keep entering awards, and these, some of these are quite expensive to enter, and they do it on a monthly basis, you know, and, and you can end up spending hundreds and thousands of pounds a year just to stick a badge on your website. For me, I don't I don't do that any longer, but I, I, I can also appreciate the people that do want to do that. And, and, you know, you've got to find a system that has integrity, though. You have to find a, an award system that has integrity. And there are some out there, but at the same time, there are some that don't have that integrity. Yeah. And, you know, you, you've, you've got to do your own research on that, I think. Let's look at BAFTAs and, and Oscars and things like that. They don't get the actors to write to everybody that's watched their film and say, hey, can I vote for me? I mean, this, that, and that's one of my issues with it that you have mm. to i don't like this sort of badgering clients to say i'm in the awards please go and vote for me i could win that for me that doesn't seem like a panel of experts that mm. have gone out done the homework looked around seen who's making images perhaps got some ideas from photographers emailing in their interests for these awards but then sat down as a panel and thought right what do we think really represents the the industry at the moment in either weddings or portraits or whatever mm. um in, instead of the the donkey work if you like being given back to the photo yeah being given back to the photographer hey go and badger a load of your clients and get them to to vote for you on the website that for me just no longer sits comfortably yeah i agree totally I, I i don't like that either um and also i don't like it when you're on uh facebook groups or whatever and it's you know hey look i've been nominated for an award can you just click this link and go and, and i'm i'm entry number five or whatever and you know I'm like mm, yeah. but actually i prefer entry number four you know so yeah. then you have a dilemma there as well you've got your little ethical ethical dilemmas going on so well yeah i mean look it's it's one of those things it's here it's uh it's good in some ways it's negative in other ways but ultimately i really really do not think that clients would pick somebody based on their awards i think they pick people based on their pictures their style their business model all of that stuff you know and and and, and for that reason I'm not I'm investing. I'm out. <laughs> did you have a second point to that? Because we sort of said first point was, or, or have we kind of covered it as well, did it? Yeah, so the, yeah, I, we, we, yeah. We, we kind of merged them, really. The first point is yeah. the client's point of view and then yeah. the photographer's, yeah. photographer's point of view. Um, you know, it is a really tough one because, you know, I, I've entered the awards. I say award-winning on my website. I, I list the awards. <laughs> I know. You know, I was landscape <laughs> photographer of the year once. That was um, the most amazing award that you, <laughs> you've ever won. You've, had uh, one, yeah. you've, had, you've taken one landscape picture <laughs> and put it yeah. in a landscape competition. You only went and won it. I did, yeah. <laughs> and... Uh, yeah, and do you know what I won? What? I won an X100S. Really? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was it was an SWPP thing. Wow. So I won a Fujifilm X100S for for a, a landscape photo. Didn't you already of have one? Of course I already had one. I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, oh, it was very interesting. But no, no. So you know, honestly, I don't want to. I don't want to sound 
like the Grinch. Um, although, well, you know, if I see another Christmas tree in November. Pff, okay, um, well, we were going to put ours up this uh, well last weekend. I'd say I was feeling all Christmassy. We got a friend of ours, by the way, who is the marketeer's dream come Christmas. <laughs> she's uh, she's the mother of uh, of our eldest Jack's uh, best friend. And she she buys it's a sort of running joke in our families that she buys everything if it has Christmas written on it. So, for example, if you get mulled wine soap, she'd be in there. <laughs> <laughs> mulled wine soup, oh, mulled wine soup. Got to have some mulled. Did I say soap or soup? Soap. You said I, either or. They would work both the same with her. She'd eat both. <laughs> just love, just loves Christmas. No, so we I love Christmas it, too, we, but, we, but we, not we, until December. Yeah, I, okay. I broke our house rule. We have a house rule that no Christmas films until the 1st of December. Oh, we've broken that. Oh, yeah, I did yeah. as well. I, I broke it in October. I watched uh, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Okay. Gemma walked in and she nearly hit me over the head with a frying pan <laughs> because I was watching <laughs> the racing National bit. Lampoon's Christmas <laughs> Vacation. Uh, well, we've, done, we've done The Grinch a few times. And what's the one yeah. with it? Oh, no, never mind. We've done a few. Right, your question. Uh, okay, so this, is, this isn't a question as such. This is a comment that was posted because you can comment on the on the um, website, the Futurecast website. You can actually leave comments underneath the um, the articles. But this one is from Wallace Shackleton. All right. This is quite a long comment. Okay, and um, there's there, there's uh, facets to it. So I'm just going to read it out as it came in. Listening to your podcast and the ever ongoing concern about the future of wedding photography. I know you two are hurting financially, and the outlook is bleak. But I feel there is one big important point that is being overlooked in that the whole point of a wedding is the union of two people so that they can be together for life. It is not about photography or hospitality or wedding cars or a whole load of other stuff. It's about a couple wanting to live their lives together. All too often I see photographers at weddings and their importance is blown out of all proportion. It's as if we're there as their models rather than as a photographer being there to record the occasion. I've seen some that have spoiled the ceremony because they have become too obtrusive with their uh, their desire to get the shot. My daughter got married last week. We had 20 at the church in total. And luckily the photographer was family. It was certainly an unusual wedding with masks, hand sanitizer, social distancing, social bubbles and no reception afterwards. Yeah. So this is obviously prior to, to lockdown two. The feasts, the speeches and, and reels will come later when we can have a good old fashioned blowout with no social distancing. Right. Back in the war was a case of <laughs> carpe diem and it still should be today. So what God has joined together, let no virus put asunder. <laughs> well, it's well written. <laughs> it's well written and terribly read by me. <laughs> it's because I've got this great big black... <laughs> You've got the microphone thing in front thing of me. I face. know, I know, I know. Um, uh, well. Well, I've, I, feel, I feel all the better for that. <laughs> uh, I mean, you know, it's an important point. And, I, you know, I... I get it. I, I you know, I, I, I hate the um, conversations we sometimes see on Facebook yeah. about, I shot a wedding on the weekend and the vicar told me to, I had to stand there and I couldn't do anything. And he was such a, a git and blah, 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 blah. And I hate that because, you know, as, as you know, and as I've mentioned before, I am, you know, I do go to church and everything. So for me, I, uh, you know, I do understand that that should be the most important thing if it's in a church. Uh, of course, most weddings are not in churches these days because a lot of people have no um, reason to do that if they're not religious. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that that is key. But to to kind of tar everybody with the same brush like that, I think, is a bit sweeping. 
And I would say 90% of the photographers that I know are very respectful of the, the environment. And it's certainly not about a model shoot and about the photographers. Mm. It's about doing the job you've been paid for. And, you know, ultimately that's, that's what, what we have to do or that's what we'd like to do, but we can't. So, uh, you know, when, when Wallace Shackleton says, uh, you know, uh, which I thought was brilliant at the end. So what God has joined together, let no virus put us under. Yeah, I agree. And, and I agree for people who want to get married. Some people want to get married still, even in, during the virus, not for religious reasons, but because they just want just to get, want to married, get married, married and perhaps they yeah. want to start yeah. a family or, yeah. Yeah. you know, buy a house or all of those things. Absolutely, so yeah. there's lots of reasons people still want to get married, even though this virus is, is causing problems. But also there's, there's, lots of, there's lots and lots of photographers out there who are, you know, are in the shit, frankly, because of this virus. And, uh, you know, I think it's it's a little bit disproportionate to, to, to kind of tar everybody with the same brush there. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. I think wedding photographers do get a b- bad rap. And I'm, I'm afraid every time they're, they're portrayed on television, they come across as... <laughs> Just the worst form of uh, just I, I don't know, uh, of anybody that practices this thing called photography. They just become sort of a parody of themselves, don't they? And that's a great yeah. shame. And I yeah. think wedding photographers like all sorts of photographers. Do you need fashion? Have we forgotten why we wear clothes? We don't need to go to a fashion show and have a photographer photograph some clothes to wear them. Of course, no. But, but that's part of the process, isn't it? It's part of the marketing. Now... Weddings aren't marketed, I know. They shouldn't be anyway. It shouldn't be a marketing thing. But they are uh, important events for people, uh, and if they're documented well, they become like my mother, my late mother and father's wedding album uh, is testament to this, that they become uh, really important historical documents for the future. My children never met my mum and dad. Much to, you know, that will be my, as my father said to me, ironically, on the day that he was... Uh, he was passing. We knew it was happening. He said to me, that will be my greatest regret that I never get to meet your children. And my my greatest regret that he, he never got to see them was, um, well, it wasn't it wasn't made better. Um, but but I do remember very clearly the day that uh, our Jack came in and, and I and he was looking through the wedding books I have at the back of the studio. And he said, uh, what's this one? Because it had mum and dad written on it. And he obviously thought it was going to be his mum and dad. I said, no, that's my mum and dad. And he pulled the book out, and, and it was my mum and dad's wedding day, photographed beautifully by, by a photographer who I think was well ahead of his time in, in the early 60s, in that he was quite a documentary-led photographer as well. And, mm. and there was Jack looking at my mum and dad, and I said, there were, you do have other grandparents. They may not be around, but there they are. And that document is just fabulous. And, I, and yeah. that, for me, underlines why wedding photography, if it's done properly and done for the right reasons, can be such a good thing. Yes. Amen. Yeah. Um, I, now, as, as, as for weddings, and um, have they become a little bit too commercialised, which I, I think um, uh, perhaps Wallace was getting at correctly, oh, I wholeheartedly agree. Um, I mean, it, for me, it hit the low note, as you well know, Kev, when I turned up to find a llama at a wedding. <laughs> I thought, why is there a llama at this wedding? I wonder, I wonder actually that llama thing, whether that, there, there is some kind of religious connection with that. I don't know. Well, I really have no idea I'm whether, because, no, you know, in no. some cultures and religions, animals have different meanings. 
perhaps. I really don't know. I'm sorry, this is a wedding in Manchester. When have llamas <laughs> fitted into a standard Anglican wedding in Manchester? <laughs> no, but they, 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 they fit into a curry quite nice. <laughs> Kev, you can't say that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 14 months I've gone now without eating anything that could snap or bite or... Well, get back at me, Kev. Generally, when food, I know, I know that vegans don't want to necessarily hear this bit, but generally, when food comes out, it's not designed to actually be be able to snap at you, Kev. Um, but anyway, not vegan. Stop saying vegan. I just don't eat things that lived. Oh, okay, all right. Sorry, cheese never lived. Oh, God, so difficult. I thought you'd given up cheese. I did. It's the cheese and wine that brings the gout on, man. For heaven's I stopped sake, giving up. Yeah, <laughs> you stopped giving up. I'm giving up, giving up. Yeah. Uh, right. This week's interview. I spoke months and months ago for a mini-serial on Photography Daily to Ian Traherne, who is the, quotes blind photographer. I'm going to let him tell you his story, of course, because he tells it as well as any crafted piece of cue material will. But safe to say I was left thinking nothing seems unachievable when you really have a desire, a will, a wish to do something. Sure, we can play semantics and say, well, I've always wanted to flap my arms and fly, Neil, but you know what I mean. This year has been the the year of all years and not for all the right reasons for many creatives. And so I've re-edited and I'm playing this again to a lot of new ears unashamedly because A, we think he's highly inspirational and B, because we think he's highly inspirational. And at this time in our creative and photographic lives, highly inspirational seems a good platform from which to start. Ian, I, I think it's important to start with your senses and try and pick apart how you discovered your senses were different, how, how um, experience led to diagnosis, because for much of your childhood, though you knew about your hearing, you you weren't aware you were in any way different in, in terms of sight. OK, um, well, I was born profoundly deaf at the age of three months old, um, so I spent a lot of time in and out of hospital you know, getting hearing aids fitted and having hearing tests. So instantly from a young age, I knew I was different already yeah. and not fitting in, you know, normal schools, etc. Um, and I really thought that was going to be my only massive issue that I was going to have to contend with in life. Um, but, yeah, as I got older, I think more into my teens, um, you know, I was out with my friends, you know, I was one of those kids that hung out on the street, on the bikes, you know, climbing trees, you know, doing what boys do. Um, and, I, you know, I loved it. But I remember a particular time where I was in the woods and my friends were enjoying themselves and they could see where they were going. And I remember I couldn't see a single thing. It was literally pitch black. And at the age of, you know, sort of 14, I was already questioning, hmm, that's a bit weird, that's a bit odd. And so sort of a year later... Uh, I got my mother to take me to the opticians um, and that's when he said you need, you need to speak to a specialist because there's something seriously wrong with your eyes. I, until that point I thought my eyes were normal like everybody else's. Now I know, uh, I know that this has closed in as the years have gone on but at that particular yeah. stage how, how big was that? Was that tunnel, um, if you like? It was definitely a little bit bigger than what it was. We're at five five percent now, isn't it? Yes, because uh, a normal human being has one hundred and twenty degrees from every angle, mm. so that's a really wide angle lens. So I think, from what I spoke to with my friend, when they put their hands out uh, like that, you, if you're looking straight ahead, they can kind of still see their fingers mm. moving. Yes. 
from what I've heard. Yes. Um, yeah. I mean, I can't see anything until my hand is about here. Literally comes in straight in front yeah, of your face. Literally straight in front. So yes. it's a massive wide window that I've lost. You know, that peripheral vision, you know, is completely black, completely gone. And did that come in each year? Was it, could, could you frankly see it as it was closing in? Yeah, I'll be honest, once the doctor told me that I had this eye condition, it was like, it was really obvious. Because yes. up until that point, I had nothing to compare it to him because I hadn't questioned it. Um, to me, it was normal. So yeah. I was just acting normal in life and just carrying on. But the moment when he said you had the condition, it was just suddenly become so obvious. I was mm. aware of it all day long, every day. From the moment I get up to the moment I go to bed, isn't it interesting how nobody around you in your in your home life had had, had <laughs> noticed it? Well, you hit a nail on the head there, my friend. Um, well, because what I found out is that you actually lose, you start losing your eyesight around about nine ten. Really? Yeah. Wow. So I was quite shocked that my parents not very observant unfortunately and they had their own issues regard to marriage and all that kind of stuff okay, so okay. their children wasn't really that important so right, right. it's quite sad that yeah it didn't get recognized as early as it should have done um and again i found out through other family members that they didn't even realize that we were partially deaf it mm. was my uncle who discovered that oh i think your child is hard of hearing or possibly can't hear yeah and you you've it's the higher frequencies that you you can't hear um but but you have a hearing aid and so that means that your communication with those that are your sitters when you're photographing and um that that doesn't cause so much of an issue definitely is is difficult to contend with yeah but i felt that i sort of got the skills as a young kid you know to sort of adapt um yeah, I was, I was always, I've always been on the outside and I think that's always been yeah. something that I will have for the rest of my life. I don't mind, but um, yeah, my deafness, I, yeah, I had normal friends, I hung out with friends, I had normal, pretty normal school life, yeah, yeah. went to a normal school. So I kind of felt for a long period of time I had practice to adapt Yes, and I thought, well, you know, I can deal with this, you know, it's yeah, it's, it's horrible, but then to get... At the age of 15, oh, also you're losing your eyesight. Yeah. It's like a double whammy. Much, yeah, um, very much. Yeah, so I'll, I'll be honest, I found losing my eyesight to be much more difficult. Um, yeah, with my hearing, you know, like now I'm wearing my he- uh, headphones, so I have to wear my headphones. Everything's pretty much turned up to maximum volume. Right. Um, but right I'm sitting in a quiet environment, you know, I can hear like a you know a fairly normal person yes. but it gets a little bit more difficult when i'm out um you know in atmospheric places like yes. bars and things like that so now we've established those uh, initial uh, conditions that were thrown at you in life along comes photography at, w- <laughs> at, w- at what stage i when i look back it's like a combination i think it's like that for a lot of people there's I don't think suddenly just one day you wake up and you want to be in photography. I think you find it's a combination of little things that you've found interesting and then somehow um, they come together. But I remember like my granddad and 
my uncle that was probably one of the only creative people in the family and he had a pair of binoculars and as a kid like binoculars are like just fascinating yeah. i mean you've got to remember this is back in the 80s no so. i know i know exactly what you mean I, <laughs> I spent half my time looking through my parents binoculars the wrong way around because it was just as interesting from the other way <laughs> which is odd yeah i think it's the whole concept yes. of the the lens and being able to zoom in yeah yeah yeah, yeah. it's that yeah. kind of sort of superpower vision yeah um so i always found that interesting um and obviously, uh, yeah, as a young teenager, I got heavily into films and movies, you know, which I still am today. I'm a complete film nerd. Yeah. I um, can see a film poster behind you on the on the back wall there. Yeah. yeah. And another one's just appeared as you moved your head. Yeah. I see, can, I've got, yeah. I've got, yeah, I've got films. They're everywhere. <laughs> everywhere. Um, my Skype advantage there. Yeah. yeah, it's like my background. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> like my flat really is still like a bit like my bedroom, you know, it has film posters yeah. and yeah. got my vinyl, my DVD, my books. It's all the basic stuff that I need to keep this brain box ticking over. But, um, yeah, watching films, um, you know, I had such a, an interest in cinematography and, you know, how things were composed. Um, but I didn't really take it any further. Um, and a few years later, when I was in my, uh, about 16, 17, I had one of these little cheapy £10 cameras that you put a film in. Yeah, yeah. And it just takes snaps, you know, nothing artistic. I think when you're told you're losing your eyesight, well, for me, I had this sort of sense of urgency of like, oh, my God, you know, I'm running out of time. I've got a limit on my eyesight. And so I just felt that I had to capture, you know, document everything that was going on in my life, whether it was being with friends or at work or goofing off or, yeah, it's just snaps, really. So they were those uh, tentative first steps. Um, it was a few years, actually, though, until... Until you considered this could be uh, a, your, your professional living. Really? I only say I started doing it professionally, I think really sort of 2008, nine. You know, for a long time, I was just sort of dithering about on a, you know, happy snap camera. Mm. But I could sense that, because you've got to remember at that time, I remember technology, digital was still trying to figure itself out in the camera world. There was a bit of a, I don't know if you remember, there was a bit of a window where there was a lot of shoddy, digital cameras maybe yeah. it's just me I, I no no I, you're absolutely right i remember shooting with some very early nikon nikon <laughs> nikon depending upon where you're listening to this podcast <laughs> um where you couldn't go above iso i don't know 800 or the world just became a <laughs> snowstorm yeah so so there was a period where yeah digital cameras weren't particularly that great so i didn't yeah. really do much yeah but then there was a time that a friend of mine well i say a friend somebody that i met at a pub called the valway hotel in south end which is a very cool quirky artistic musical pub yeah doing uh doing a an open mic night down there um could i play guitar as well because i love yes music. i know you do yeah yeah yeah. So that's another thing that I love doing music. So I was doing a an open mic night and he was taking some photos. And so I was just really interested and wanted to check out his camera. And I think it was the first time I thought, oh, my God, you know, digital has started to sort of, you know, find its feet. And, yeah, um, yeah I was really impressed. Um, I love this. You you have a lot. Do you know what? You you collect expressions and sayings you do. Uh, one of your, one of, one of my favourites of yours. Uh, photography allows me to participate in the world. Well, I think without the camera, I think, yeah, I'll be quite sort of cut off. 
Yeah. Um, I think having the camera is a sort of thing that allows me to sort of, you know, be involved in other people's worlds, you know, whether it's theatre or, um, you know, a band mm. or, you know, uh, doing a commission for someone. Mm, and then there's studio, but but equally you're you're just as happy, it seems to me, uh, looking at your Instagram feed, that you're just as happy being out on the street, street photojournalism. Yeah, I think a bit like when I went up to Hyde Park, uh, the Black Lives Matter protest, yeah. If I just went up there, I would probably get quite anxious because being visually impaired in a crowded place is like possibly the worst nightmare for a blind person. Right. But having that camera allows me to be creative, to be involved in what's going on in that particular moment. So it just allows me to bridge some kind of um, uh, sort of connection to other human beings how do you feel about being labelled the, the blind photographer, though? Although it is what you see as the main strap line as soon as I come to your website. Um, so you've used that title. Uh, I really like your question, by the way. You're like, asking like, <laughs> the banning questions. <laughs> well, you're very, you're very generous. Well, let me build on this one then, because immediately you didn't want your site to be any kind of agenda, Ian. I mean, there's, there's a bit of a gap between launching as a photographer, talking about 2008-ish, but, but then changing up the narrative a bit, but about yourself to reveal your blindness when was that 2010 right 11 i did an exhibition for sense it was because at that time i still hadn't sort of come out as a blind person i was still hiding it no i, I know still... i know because you, you've only just started using yeah. a uh, using a stick yeah. haven't you yeah but, yeah, but so, really, at, so at that time, nobody really knew about this. No, no. It's only really people like Sense and maybe a few of my friends. Mm. And doing that exhibition was kind of like tipping my, uh, dipping my toe into sort of, oh, you know, could I? I hated it. To answer your question, I hated it at yeah. the beginning. It but, made but, me feel sick. But you've embraced it now. Now, yeah. Like now, I had to sort of, after all the processes and uh sort of things that I've done like jobs or everything I've done I've sort of questioned and, and processed it and and I'm very much a person that tries to find light in dark you know try to find positive yeah. in, in a massive negative and for a long time I thought I actually want to embrace this and actually you know why not yeah I'm a blind photographer that's what I am but I think I felt conscious and felt that oh maybe people will be like oh what does that mean or you know is this real or you know or be judged that's my big thing um and because there wasn't really anyone around you know called a blind photographer as such you know I'm I'm not a very I'm not like one of these people that you know is super confident you know in your face you know uh, extrovert you know that's not me unfortunately I wish I was but for me yeah I was very cagey and conscious about using that phrase and I remember when that interview went out back in 2010-11 the BBC did a little small article and it was deaf blind photographer yes and I, yeah, hated it. Yes, yeah. But now, I I can see that no, I'm doing something good with it because I'm not. It's not about me. It's about other blind people that have an interest in photography, which is what I now discovered. Mm. There's loads of visually impaired blind photographers out there mm. that have felt that they weren't allowed to be taking photos, um, and sort of since I popped up on the scene. People are like, oh, it's really cool, you know, you're doing photography, you're blind. Um, 
I'm kind of it's kind of almost like allowing people to do it. What do you, what do your subjects think? What are, I mean, you've got an in, instant icebreaker when you go into a session with them, haven't you? Yeah, um, I mean, for a long time I didn't tell people. You know, again, yeah. people would be none the wiser. But now I always tell people straight away. You know, just let you know I have an eye condition. Um, I don't have any peripheral vision, and so it, yeah, like you say, it opens up uh, a conversation, and I think people are interested like when i was growing up and it's still pretty much the same now and i think this is why this is why it's so layered that when i was growing up there was really one box of what a blind person should fit in you know they should either be using a white cane or a guide dog and having their specs on and pretty much not really doing anything in life you know there are just these people that you feel sorry for the only two blind people I knew growing up was Stevie Wonder and Ray Charles. But again, they were so far away from my spectrum of being able to connect with these people. And I think it's only really over the last sort of few years, especially with the younger generation, they've inspired me to being comfortable with what mm. um, you know condition I got and, and really embrace it and not be embarrassed because I was embarrassed. I've been ashamed, embarrassed of my blindness for a long time i think people are thinking differently now about mental health and disability yeah probably same as you like when i was growing up in the 80s 90s it was not really i don't don't i don't believe we talked about (laughs) it much at home at all i i really don't um i want to steer you back to the photography if i if i may i'm personally inspired by those chasing the shadows and the and the low-key greats and i know you are too where you where you literally chisel the light so that your subjects find themselves enveloped as much by the dark as by the light and i I wonder, Ian, if your eyesight guides you towards this particular style. Yeah, I, I like being almost like want to get inside people's mind and their body because I know a lot of people generally are quite. Um, most of the people that I photograph are very insecure, very shy, you know, mm. not a big fan of the camera, which I completely understand. It's interesting though, because you, yeah, it's interesting because <laughs> you've photographed so many well-known people that you should say that. Yeah, yeah. I, I just love getting inside people's mind and try and sort of pull out their confidence yeah, and yeah. what I see, what's sort of lingering behind their insecurities. And I want to show them this is what you do look like. You just yes. don't see it. You've not seen it from anyone else. So I want to show you that. But again, when I go back, like my first thing that I ever did as a kid was always drawing with pencil. Yeah. I was always sketching with pencil, um, HB pencil. And when I think about when I've looked at my old work, um not not quite recently um it's it's almost very similar to my photography is it yeah lots of shadows high yeah. contrast lots of highlight it's about the mood mm. it's the atmosphere i don't know it makes me tingle it's all about the light and the shadows for me um, and actually that's supported by what, what it says on your website as well um, uh, Ian's eye condition, which by default naturally cropped the world around him, gives him a unique eye for capturing moments in time. That crop, actually, I, I, I don't want to use a clumsy expression here and say it could, yeah. it could have offered you an advantage because I'm, I'm sure you, you'd argue that. But uh, it has it has provided you with uh, a perspective that not a lot of other photographers have. Somebody did say, you know, is have you got an advantage? And I'll, I'll be honest, I find that quite a an unusual question yes um, yeah and I, I felt a bit unusual posing it <laughs> yeah. i mean a couple of my friends disagree with me but I, I don't see it as an advantage it's it's more to do with the fact that i have limitations 
and it's about what I can get out or squeeze out of that small window using stubbornness, uh, creativity. <laughs> I think that's really it. That is really it's the foundation of being stubborn um, that I make myself want to do it because I love doing it. It's it's something I love doing anyway. Whether I had full eyesight or this condition, it just happens that I had this eye condition, and and I'm working with a small window, but. You know, I have to work 10 times harder, you know, scanning. Because when I look through the viewfinder, I can't see the whole window of the viewfinder. I still only see a small area. So I have to scan. I work really hard, you know, with what I'm, you know, looking at and trying to achieve. I'm a very fast worker Mm. in that aspect. Like I said to someone the other day that it's all about the limitations. I don't have anything else. And I appreciate that I had this small window that I got. And so I aim to use it to its full potential. Um, you- and if I can do some positivity along with disability, incorporating photography, that would be that would mean the world to me. You be- know? Because I did ask um, uh, before we started the interview whether. Uh, photography was a full-time engagement for you, but but it, it's not really. I mean, it's a, there's, you're a multifaceted, multi-layered operator, as you've already suggested, actually. Um, yeah. Because wasn't y- intended. Y- yeah. No. <laughs> you're working. You're working with sense. You're helping people cope with with isolation and loneliness. Just two of the things that you're helping people with. How, how did that come about? Um, well, I had a mental breakdown 2014 after. My life dramatically changed in 2012. Though my eyes were already bad, my um, eyes got worse. And in the space of a year, I lost my job. I had to hand in my driver's license, so I couldn't drive anymore. No. The session was happening. Uh, I couldn't sell my flats. So I was bankrupt. So I had this terrible couple of years um, where I knew my life was completely changing. And I had to find a way or a way to be involved with the world, you know, participating in the world. Um, I knew that my old life was ended and that I really wanted to sort of delve into photography. But then once I delve into photography, I started analysing everything, you know, looking at what I see on TV, what I see in fashion or anywhere generally. I was like, oh, that should be different and that should change. So once I hooked up with Sense, you know, we had the same kind of outlook and um I'm thinking, I kind of describe myself as a bit of a, uh, like a Keith Richards ambassador. <laughs> I'm like this scruffy, long hair um, artist person. But I think they like that because I've been a bit of a different side, you know, a different type of person. Oh, very much. You know, um, and I think this is what I'm discovering. It's all team effort. It's teamwork. You know, everyone's got something that they can offer. And so for me, I want to bring photography, disability, mental health, all together, you know, it's one thing. Um, going back to the, yeah, I had a breakdown that lasted for a few years, so I did a lot of work for Scent. So obviously experiencing a lot of isolation, being completely cut off from the world. I mean, I literally, you know, went Sid Barrett style, completely off grid, you know. And bizarrely, when I did decide to hook up with Scent again after being quiet, um, I went to see the guy, the main guy that runs Sense called Richard. And that was how I got the job for the Undateables. I didn't apply for the Undateables. Yes, for, for anybody who's listening to this in in America or somewhere else in Europe, the Undateables is um, is, a, a, is a Channel 4 show. Yeah, it's a Channel 4. Channel 4 show. Yeah. And it, it, it aims to bring people together that have um, had difficulties in 
in finding a, a, a match in terms of love. They featured you, I think, you, you were, the, the opening scene for you, I think I remember, was uh, you were in a hot air balloon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, that, I mean, that was a, a beautiful surprise. Yeah. That was arranged yeah. by my cameraman, the guy who was interviewing me. Oh, my word. Yeah, it was organised by him. I, I stuck up a really good friendship with him. We really hit it off. And because yeah. um, a lot of people, you know, like I say, honestly, it's so layered. You know, people said to me, why did you go on that programme? People said, oh, I don't like that programme because it says undateables. Yeah. But you've got to remember, these are all opinions coming from people that don't have blindness or deafness or any other kind of disability. So they don't really understand. And that is the whole point of doing the programme, because I had to sort of explain to people that I have felt undateable. When you're wearing hearing aids and you're deaf, you are already, you know, you've got a lot against you. Dating's hard. Mm. When you've got... Um, very big disabilities it does put people off and it, it was something which was why I didn't tell people mm. for a long time that I was um, going blind because I didn't want people to treat me any differently but hiding it it doesn't work hence why I had a breakdown because it's it's not the right way to go about doing things and so when I went on that program um, yeah when I was asked to go on there you know it was such a a great experience to show people, like I said, we're going back to this stereotypical box yes. that I've been brought up with. Yeah. It's one box. And in this day and age, now there are so many different boxes, but we are now teaching the public those variations. It's not just one thing. For instance, I have a friend who's a skateboarder. He's blind. He uses a white cane when he does his skateboarding tricks. So there's all different variations of how people work around mm. their blindness. You know, I'm not saying every blind person does it because everyone is different. It does come down to their personality. So in the end, the, the Undateables was a positive experience for you, wasn't it? it oh, it was amazing. And I, was, I, actually, was, was it from that that you then thought, well, I, I'm going to use my white cane? And that was a programme <laughs> that, that made so much difference to you in, in all sorts of ways and, oh, and on many, many levels. Totally. I mean... Everything you just said there, yeah, the program gave me the confidence to start, you know, embracing uh, embracing the, the white cane, which was not something that I would have never done before. Because yeah. what I get all the time is, oh, you, but you look so normal. You know, that's the thing. Yeah, I know I look normal, but I'm 95% blind. So that's the kind of thing that I try and to educate people that you can't judge a book by its cover. Why, why don't you use an assistant, by the way? I'm intrigued. Wouldn't that make some of your life a bit easier with some of the jobs? Because I, I know that there are some jobs that you say you can't do. I'm intrigued which, which they are, but um, an assistant... Weddings. Wedding, yeah. <laughs> maybe, 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 you're not, maybe you're not missing too much at the moment. Um, <laughs> is that the kind of thing that, that uh, prevents you... Right, OK. So it's, the, it's, it's, if you like, the social photography arena, some of those jobs which would be harder... I mean, I'll be able to, I have done wedding, but I've always been happier being the, the second yes. photographer, yeah. not the yeah. main. Um, because I've got to be realistic, you know, because I have to, like, working with these knackered eyeballs, yeah. uh, I get really tired, I get migraines, I get headaches. Do you? Okay. So I have to balance, you know, what I can be doing and probably what I shouldn't be doing. So... Yeah. You know, and it's those kind of challenges that I give myself to do these things because they're not easy. Because you know, for somebody else, you know, with full eyesight, they'll be up there just doing what they're doing, 
and not really think much more about it. I have to work at a militant level, you know, or planning. And, and I think that's probably why I work on my own quite a bit because I don't have to worry about anyone else. Because mm. if I've got someone with me, I can't see them half the time. I'm worrying about what they're doing and I'm probably going to miss that shot. So if I work on my own, I can just work within my own boundaries. And if I feel it's getting a bit too much, I just take myself out of the crowd, choose a different area maybe on the outside or, you know, somewhere a little bit different. And our thanks to Ian Traherne. Of course, you can see Ian's work. We'll have a link to it on the fujicast.co.uk show page for today's episode. Just a quick mention for my other photography podcast title, which is Photography Daily. Today, when you've finished here, there's an interview that I recorded with LA and Hollywood portrait photographer Michael Greco, who was a great inspiration to me, actually, personally, when I was first shooting portraits. I actually built a sideways, or was it upside down, uh, studio set. Thank you to this man. We're also talking this week with Miss Anne Harriman, the first black male photographer to shoot a Vogue UK cover for a project that holds some very strong personal motivation. Charlene Winfred talks Singapore street photography, and David Buto is a photojournalist who spent some time in the Oval Office this year. He has some interesting stories. That's on Photography Daily, available like this podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Right, back to your questions. This one's from Stephen Royce. Um, Very simple, X-T1, X-T2, X-T3, X-T4, they just get better and better and better. Have Fuji shot themselves in the foot, boys? Do we need an X-T5? Is there an (laughs) X-T5 on the way? Is this this your way of announcing that you know something we don't? I mean that wouldn't hmm. be that wouldn't be around for a while, would it? But um, yeah, he's got a point. He's got a very good point. It's interesting, isn't it? Because you never think what can I improve, um, and uh, that's the same for every brand, of course. It's not not just them. But uh, you know, I feel like sensor wise, I'm not sure they can do much more with uh, APS-C. Really, don't know. Um, there's there's all that you, you hear this word, the global shutter, global sensor. Yeah. Uh, organic sensor, global shutters, things like that. What do they I have mean? No idea what, what those are. I was going <laughs> I thought for a minute you were going to educate me there. No, I don't. Right. Um, I have a feeling that a global shutter is one where you don't need. And now I'm probably way off the mark here. This might just even be a dream of mine. Global shutter might be where you don't need to worry about light. You can just click away and you don't have to worry about like opening the aperture up to get enough light in and various things like that um so i I think that's more of a dream than anything but yeah yeah, i mean you could write down a list now you could say right what could the xt1 be improved with and you would probably start thinking about the stuff that you've got currently in your xt3 or xt4 and think yeah that would have been great in the xt1 but now if you ask the same question the xt4 how could you improve the xt4 you'd be like you mm, don't know well when mm, i saw the question now I, I did think that i thought oh okay um let's have some i oh, know you got image stabilization yeah um mm. so I, that was that kind of thing that was going through my mind I, well, I really couldn't think of anything really and and the point about shooting yourself in the foot and no actually i think fujifilm are the masters of of getting a lot out of sensors and you only have to look at the X-T3, X-T4. It's the same sensor. Uh, they've got two very, very good selling cameras. In fact, you, if you throw the X-Pro into the mix, you know, they're using the sensors. Sony do the same thing with their, their different cameras, of course. But, you, you know, you've got little bits and pieces. Canon used to do it with the 5Ds, didn't they? They would, um, they would have some stuff in the 5D that wasn't in the 1D and a bit more stuff that was in the 1D range. You know, that's that's just good marketing. They're there to make money out of us, mm. and, and they do. Mm. So, yeah, I, you know, it will keep going. They will keep going. Of course, they will keep going. Uh, things will 
get bigger and smaller and new technology and uh, 5G stuff. That's my that's my Man. dream. <laughs> Take a picture, have it edited in the cloud, get home, just put your feet up and, yeah, and watch more Christmas it. movies, whatever time yeah. of year it is. I keep thinking that um, if there, I mean, I really would like. You know how Canon had the cinema range of cameras. Mm. I keep thinking that would be great to see a a Fuji film version of that something that does have the XLR inputs for the sound something yeah. that, you know that's a, that, that that's a little bit bigger in the hands I think when you're filming um, something that's that's um, slightly more substantial is a really good particularly if you're handheld at being a bit more stable um, they're good things yes but th- I mean don't forget that Fujifilm or the Fujifilm Corporation are one of the major suppliers to the film industry, for glass, motion film for industry, glass, yeah, with, with yeah. their Fujinon stuff. Yeah. Um, well, which is cinema, why, which is why I'd love to see it. Yeah, well, you know, it's it's all out there. They, they, it's huge, and it's all mostly rental stuff. So, you know, they've got a market for that, and they're doing very well in that marketplace. But, yeah, I think it was a Panasonic that had a... A camera that looked like a camera had a bit of a uh, like a almost like a big battery grip at the bottom that had right. an XLR input mm-hmm. in the back. Uh, that would be cool. But then I think the batteries and power and it's different. You know, if you can stick a massive battery in like you can with the Canons, then then it's different. But you know, that's yeah, why who knows? The, that's there why the go. camera would need to be be much bigger. But yeah, I'm just and it's, it's because of that reason that there's so much good glass around that it would be fantastic to to have a. The cinema range of cameras from from Fujifilm, but what I wouldn't want to happen is then what I think happened at Canon for quite a while, which was that I felt that the five um, D, for example, was always a bit hamstrung because you know, well, we're not going to put peaking in this. Why would we do that? Because we want you to buy a, a cinema camera. Why why would we put zebras in this when that would mean that you wouldn't need to? Why would we stable? You know, all those questions. Yeah, but that's marketing, isn't it? That's yeah. product, product. You know, same as cars, isn't it? Yeah, you know, yeah. why? But that's one uh, thing I think. The sun, do you want a sunroof? You have to get the GT line. That's true. Oh, I want a sunroof yeah. in the not GT line. Well, you can't. But that's one thing I think Sony and Fujifilm. Are the, the only, I mean, I don't know much about the Olympus range to be honest. So you might shout at the uh, uh, whatever you're listening to this on and say we already do that as well. But that's what I thought Sony and Fuji have, have always done really, really well. Is that they haven't hamstrung us. They've said, look, if you want focus peaking, have focus peaking. Zebras, have that. No worries at all. If you want to be able to film and take, take make make stills, then fine. Um, which I know the Canon cameras do, but there was there were always tiny little. So really finicky kind of, oh, if only they could have this, which I always thought Sony and Fuji did really, really well. What I'd like to happen in Fujifilm cameras, which I think used to do, because I had a 5D one, which could do film in, I think, uh, 5D something. Yeah. Uh, and what you used to be able to do with that is, is film. Well, it wasn't 5, 5, just, 5D2, wasn't it? 5D2 was where the 5D2 was it. Yeah, you used yeah. to be able to film and then press the shutter button and take a still, and then it would carry on filming. Yes. I'd love to see that come to the, the yeah. XT range. That'd be ah, cool. A bit, bit like when you take your mobile phones out. So, mm. so you're filming, and then you press the other little white button in the screen, it, it grabs a still of that moment. Oh, well, I didn't know my phone could do that. Ah, well, but there we go. yes, exactly like that, effectively. Your, my iPhone can do it. I'm sure your Huawei can. Yeah. Yeah. Right, book. Okay, so today's book is uh, John Chillingworth. John Chillingworth, picture post photographer. Oh. And for those of you that don't know the picture post or or uh yeah i'm familiar with it picture post was at one point i think the the number one kind of visual journal magazine whatever you want to call it what above life 
No, I don't think so. I mean, life was was global, wasn't it? it was US right. based and global. I think this was mostly British right. picture post stuff. Okay, um, but similar similar process. So um, I've checked again um, that it's available and it is still available. John Chillingworth, picture post photographer, it's available on Amazon. And it's uh, it's reasonable. It's about twenty pounds. And uh, the the spiel, because of course I can't can't show you the pictures again, which is very difficult. Is uh, it says something like along the lines of at the age of twenty two, John Chillingworth was the youngest member of the team of photographic journalists on the magazine. He worked alongside many other great photographers, staffers, and freelancers, including Bert Hardy, really Kurt, Kurt Hutton, mm. Felix Mann, Bill Brandt, Thurston Hopkins, Grace Robertson and leonard mccomb and so basically the pictures in this book are his pictures that made the picture post and and there's loads it's black and white color uh it's another it's a square format i would say it's probably eight inches by eight inches yeah. it's not huge but it's uh you know i would say there's probably maybe 150 pages something like that um but the you know it, it's interesting because once again it's one of those books that feel like the design of the book isn't perfect because it's square so you've got a lot of the images are three by two or, or six by four and so they're going across the spine the mm. bend um and i don't particularly like that but I do like the the fact that most of the images are one one image per spread, if you like, and then just simple simple text. So I'm looking at page 16 right now, and it's beautiful, beautiful picture, very grainy, really all black and white. Uh, 1951, January 1951. It's two women on the tube. It's called taking the tube. These women, these these women, they're probably in their late 60s, something like that. They couldn't look more like they are about to eat a child you know they are they are the, the child captures oh, Kev. uh terrible well, no honestly they look terrifying um but it's a brilliant picture you know absolutely brilliant they both got their little hats on one of them's got some flowers um you know very very sets the scene perfectly and he's titled this uh taking the tube old ladies born in the 19th century still traveling on the london underground in the 1950s uh there we go so uh, 19th century so i'm just going to flip through some color stuff here while you're flipping now i was just reading by the way that the picture post itself uh, after only two months the picture post was selling one one million seven hundred thousand copies wow mm. what new release of a magazine could possibly reach those heady heights that quickly these days well i know it's impossible now with digital yeah, stuff isn't absolutely, it you can yeah. get all the images online but yeah. yes i mean that <sighs> I mean, you can some of the picture posts, some of the early editions of picture posts are worth a, a, a pretty oh, penny these days. Do you know who has some? Collectors. Giles has them. He has them in uh, he has them in uh, proper plastic um, mm. protection sleeves, and uh, I think they're some of his his proudest things that he owns. Um, I'm not allowed yeah. to touch them when I go around. I'm, I'm, no. a, I'm allowed to look at them from yeah. from afar. Yeah, no, they're, they're they're worth archiving because you know eventually it will all go away. Um, page twenty two, Blackpool nightlife. It doesn't look too. So this picture is from nineteen fifty four, but it looks very similar to what Blackpool looks like now. Actually, um, you know, kind of uh, a tea van selling tea with a big one of those big silver urns of tea. Yeah. Of those things, um, rainy holiday on page twenty-five. That's, that's uh, never that's never changing in this country either. <laughs> it's a brilliant picture, actually. There's two people, two women. You can't see their faces. Shot from behind. They're in bathing suits. Um, this is 1954, and they've got their umbrella up uh, because it's pouring with rain. They're sat on this this uh, beach that's just pebbles, and you can see the grey, muddy water lapping at their feet. 
it looks horrible. It looks just like, why would you be there? <laughs> and then interestingly, it's kind of more, some of the more his- historic stuff, I suppose. They've got, um, I'm flipping to page 31 here. So they've got the SS United States watched by um, uh, the kind of the, the people that build in the, the, the boats on the on the harbour, Mersey tugboat, 1954, 1952, a lot of workers and stuff. Some of my favourite ones are the street parties, though. Um, you know, we're of a generation where we used to have street parties as kids do you remember you know we uh, lived i, I remember I, yeah. when we lived in in uh in my, yeah. the first house was technically the second house i lived yeah. in newport a big long avenue of old victorian houses and uh all the kids used to just play in the streets run around knock on each other's doors you know called everybody called each other's mum and dad auntie and uncle and all that kind of stuff <laughs> and i remember i think it was for princess diana and prince charles's wedding and we had this i'd never seen a table as long in my entire life it went all along the streets this table we had bunting up and you know there was the jelly and ice cream and all that kind of stuff it was amazing it's one of my my kind of yeah. fanged in memories of, of, of early childhood i think the earliest one i remember was from 77 oh during the war um, oh the jubilee jubilee silver jubilee yeah. that's when that's when we had one in our close yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't I I'm, we will have had one but I was I wasn't I was only 4 at that point. Um what were you you would have been about 22 then I suppose. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah so these are some of my favorite pictures. Coronation tea time. So this is 1953 as the children of Morpeth Street sat down for their coronation tea. Everyone of the onlookers whose hard-earned contributions made it all possible glowed with pleasure as the youngsters tucked into off-ration cakes and jam. Oh, I love it. No, I don't, I don't remember rationing before you say it. Do you remember rationing during the war? <laughs> no, I don't remember rationing. Yeah. This is a great picture as well. Um, page 57, Cotton Mill Workers, April 1952. It's brilliant. It's a, it's a beautiful picture because, obviously, it's very different now. So you've got uh, there's a handful of guys all stood on a street corner essentially waiting to be chosen to go and pick uh, go to the to the mills you know and if they got picked they get paid for the day and if they didn't uh you know they, they didn't 1952 of course a lot of unemployment in the in the country but interestingly you know these are they're well-dressed men and you know they've got their some of them have got ties on and they, they, they you know they're all shaved they all look like they're going to work for the day um, you know, obviously no cars, the background is sparse, there's no yellow lines or anything like that in those days, so the streets are all cobbled. It's a really nice picture uh, of quite a sad scene, really. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, it's it's that thing we always talk about, isn't it? The, the What was then a benign picture that everybody would see every morning on that street corner is now so powerful because of uh because history has passed and and it becomes something we need to know about and uh, you know and, and yeah. that's why the rules on street photography that is, being chopped yes. up so much anger me so much are you are you convinced that a picture post these days in print just would not work because there are there are many magazines though that people still buy the shelves you go into wh smith other shops are available um you will see rows and rows and rows of of magazine titles yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. I think that, yeah, potentially, but with the uh, the internet and Instagram and various things like that, I don't, uh, you know, picture post was pro- probably did so well because it was the only place you could see those pictures. Yeah, yeah. and of course now it's not. Uh, you know, Thomas over at Fuji Love has just released. Uh, um, he's called it Frames, and 
Uh, I haven't seen a, an edition of it, but uh, people have been telling me it's absolutely beautiful. So he's he's essentially um, curated some images, or him and his team, and he's created a, a journal a magazine. It's, I think it's quarterly, and uh, it's you know it's high end print. Uh, you know, one of those those kind of um, journals that turns up and it smells. Yeah. It just smells beautiful. You know, <laughs> um, and, and uh, you know it's relatively expensive but the people that have, have, have kind of invested in it i think it's it's absolutely amazing so yeah, yeah there are people out there of course but uh, i don't know do, do they still make the beano for example or has that gone online i don't, I don't know i have do no they? idea i have no idea i'm not um, yeah i'd like to think but, they do <laughs> part yeah of they probably still do yeah they probably still do but i would imagine it doesn't sell anywhere near as oh, much no. as, no, no, as no, no, it no. used to and there were a lot a lot of i mean do you remember uh, comics as gr- growing up as a lad mm. there was one called i think it was called tiger um, that yeah. was that was the one that uh, that I had featuring I don't know stories like Billy's boots. You can write in if you remember Billy's boots, but but that was that was the kind of thing that um, yeah I, that doesn't exist anymore. You're right. Those those, those yeah. once upon a time comics that that would take up a whole shelf probably only take up well less than a third. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, you know, it's it's the way it is. It's not it's not negative. It's nope, not positive. Nope. It's just the way it is. But yeah, yeah, I mean, and also people, you know, the press and and the, the journals and stuff, they don't really commission. I mean, there is commissions going on, of course, but they're not. You're not going to get paid really well for doing a story like perhaps they used to. Same for the newspapers, isn't it? Um, you know, so I don't know. It's tough. I, yeah, I would love to see something like Picture Post. Yeah. Maybe there is still something a little bit like it. And we just don't know. Mm. So um, the book itself, though, that uh, of Picture Post, that's it's still available. Yes. So John Chillingworth, C H I L I N G W O R T H, Picture Post photographer, currently available on Amazon for nineteen pounds ninety nine pence. Perfect. However, if you're in the UK and you want it, be quick. Because it says only two left in stock. <gasps> right. Well, do uh, you know a couple of weeks ago when you mentioned the book, I went out and bought it the very next day. I'm not going to do that. That would be unfair. But Which you book? Um, I've just put it up here. It was the. Uh, hold on, Kev. I can't remember. I bought a few books you recommended. Hmm. Ah, d- daily. Right at the back of the studio. Daily. Daily Encounters. Oh, the, the lovely the pictures from Fleet Street. Yes. yes. That's great, isn't it? Yeah. I went Did you use our affiliate link on the, on the website to buy it? <gasps> no, I forgot. <laughs> Sorry, Kev. <gasps> yes, I did. I used the affiliate link as you told me to on the website. <laughs> if you don't back us, how can we expect other people to back us? I know, I know, I know, I know. You're absolutely, you're absolutely correct. It's bloody absurd. Don't be rude. Enough of you as well. I'm replacing you from next week. Yes. <laughs> right, your question. Okay, so I have a question here from Lev Petersov of Chatham, New Jersey, USA. He says, for now, in brackets. (laughs) Uh, Hi, Neil and Kevin. Love your podcast. Looking forward to every episode. Yada, 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 yada. I've been playing around with street photography, macro, and other forms, but find it difficult to motivate myself long term, just like with running. (laughs) If I don't have a race to train for, I find it difficult to make myself get out there for a run. Yeah. I guess I need something tangible to work for, something more than a thousand images on my hard drive. What would you recommend I do to keep my photo mojo going? Mm, projects, mm. series. I've been learning a lot about series, talking to photographers of late. Not necessarily series that they, they're they making because they're going to publish them, but uh, works of uh, particular sort of focused works that they think, that's what I'm doing as a series that, that uh, can become one month, two months, one year, three years, doesn't matter. 
Um, but I would uh, that that would be a I think that's a a good way to do it. Yeah, I mean you you, you need an objective, of course, yes. uh, yeah. and that it is the hardest thing, though, isn't it? It's it's today I fancy going out and taking pictures, uh, and then you end up just taking snaps then because yeah. uh, you've got nothing to really look for. And it's one of the things that you know we've mentioned on this podcast many times is if you have something to look for and you have a uh you know project a theme even if it's very simple like a color yeah then it will give you a little bit more uh you know more more kind of get up and go to go and shoot um i've got lots of little ongoing long-term projects um well, give, like give i us, love give photographing us old people in love right that's old people like. in love oh. yeah so if i see old people holding hands right i say i'm after them I'm taking their picture. So, do you ask them, or are you? Um, no. Are they street star, or do you stop them? Yeah. And n- not, not no. a portrait, then. No, no, mm. no. I either get in front of them and, and take a, a street shot. Sometimes they're from behind, right. whatever. Um, but yeah, I'll, but but the, you know the thing is, like now, right now, I've got literally no no motivation whatsoever for photography. It's really sad. It's just. Is that right? Yeah, I just don't don't have it. It's. Um, yeah, I just don't. It's, you know, I'm like... And that's been driven by, by this wretched period, hasn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. You know, it's, it's really sad because I'm seeing some beautiful pictures uh, from other people. You know, I'm not um, I'm not really taking pictures at home much, a couple of snaps here and there. But, you know, it's, it's just, yeah, I'm just like... Just I found gone. that the photo walk thing that I've been doing for the other title, that's mm. been the thing that has been, um, that has energize me photographically i've thought right once a week i have to because i've committed to it because it's a it's a podcast that friday photo walk thing that i do i'm committed i have to go do it uh and that's really helped me to engage with making images again now they don't necessarily have a theme of course because they're wherever i happen to be walking that week so it's a bit hit and miss in that in that respect there's no there's no sort of um you know clear reason for it uh, uh, bar the fact that i need to make a small library of well if you want to call them snaps that i'm going to use in the in the library to go in the show notes alongside that episode i found that's that's been i've never done that before prior to this i'd ne- I, I don't think i'd ever done anything like that no i yeah i mean that's good because it is you know you're using that as the vehicle for it which is perfect but it's it, you know i've had i've had loads of ideas honestly i i was watching I was watching a, a, a film last night on the telly and, and I just like got this idea and I said, as I usually do, I sent myself an email from my phone, you know, to remind me. Then this morning I looked at the email and then I just deleted it. Oh, no, Kev. What was the idea? <laughs> oh, I'm not telling you. It's a secret. <laughs> yeah, but it could have been a great idea and you've deleted it. Can you remember yeah. it? Uh, I can remember it, yeah. Right. I might still do it. But it's, you know, the, the, the thing is, I looked at the email and I was like... Well, you know, I can either leave that email in my inbox, I can jot it down somewhere, I can add it to my Microsoft to-do list, yeah. or I can just delete it. Yeah. So I deleted it. What makes a body of work? How how many do you have to have bef- before it becomes a, you know, a, a body of work? Well, I don't think there's any specific amount of numbers, is there? But, you know, you're not going to, you're probably not going to pay to go to an exhibition or buy a book that's only got one image in it. No, sure. Um, so so w- but, what is it, know, 20, 30, 40? I don't know. I mean, I would, I think you, you, when, I've, when I've listened to people speak about that kind of thing, they, they always have this kind of grand, airy, floaty idea that you just know when you've finished your project. <laughs> it just feels... <laughs> Like you've completed. Zen. Mm. Yeah, Zen. And I'm like, hmm. Well, uh, then my pictures of all people in love, I don't feel like I've completed it because there's loads of all people left. Mm. 
um you know and and so yeah what's a body of work it depends what you're doing with it if it's if it's for a you know if you're commissioned or if it's for a specific exhibition or or a book then obviously it has to fit the parameters of that the geography uh you know the landscape of the the exhibition the the, the, the layout of the book etc but if it's for your own personal um benefit which let's be honest the vast majority of this is then whatever you know whatever works uh, I suppose you're, you know, you and I, we both do it. We we do a book every year of the, of the family snaps we've taken, and and that's a project, isn't it? Well, Sam and does. Sam, Sam is Sam, Sam is the curator of that. I'm the worst mm. um, when when it comes to making sure I get pictures of the family. I really am. She's much better than me. But mm. I remember um, uh, when I the, when I originally Giles, who I talk about, I know it's like I've only got two friends in the world, you and Giles. Um, <laughs> that's not quite true. Um, but but um, the the reason for me meeting up with Giles in the first place is I, I went to uh, an exhibition, which was on the old airbase, and um, and and it was an exhibition that that sort of got uh, put aside a, a small area for for exhibiting art and photographs, and he he was exhibiting a photograph, uh, a, a, an exhibition called Skies, and it was purely him. I I, I think from pictures that he'd made at at the airbase maybe i don't know but it was just pictures of the sky and um it was a room and some of these were huge prints and then some smaller prints um i thought that was and it was about as far removed from charles's life as a as a photographer in iraq etc with the army but it was it was it was glorious. I love that. Yeah, motivation is hard, uh, and you know it's it's not often it's not always just ideas of of uh, you know projects. It's yeah. it's life as well. You know sometimes life can can get in the way of things and time and and all that kind of stuff. You sound like Marvin. Do you know who Marvin is? Uh, isn't the alien at the end of the world? No, he's the paranoid android, oh. and from Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, when he says, "Life, don't talk right. to me about life." Yeah. All the doors in this spaceship have a happy disposition. <laughs> Can't bear them. <laughs> I'm reading that book with Jack at the moment. <laughs> Brilliant. Hitchhiker's Guide oh. to the Galaxy. Well, that is it, Kev. We're done Indeed. for another week. We, we might be done for next week if we don't get any questions. Yeah. So, uh, I suppose, what, what do they call it? Gauntlet thrown down. Throat, throat, throat? Gauntlet thrown down. Um, you need to uh, send us some questions via click at fujicast.co.uk or you can go in via the shiny new-ish website and send via the contact form. And, of course, you could do it uh, on the uh, the Facebook page as well, can't you, Kev? Yeah. Or you could write us a letter. Yeah. When Are you... was the last time you had a handwritten letter? Um, I haven't had a handwritten ha- uh, handwritten letter for a long, long time. There's only my uh, handwriting is terrible. I'd love to write letters, but my handwriting is absolutely atrocious. I should have been a doctor. Really? Yeah. We could spend hours deciphering it. But oh, if you terrible. can send a, a letter in that's not like one that Kev would have written, then that that I suppose that would be nice. Yeah. Um, and a mention for those that are in Patreon, Kev, because um, we we haven't done a mention of new members for a little while. We probably should over the next couple of weeks, shouldn't we? If we're here, of course, next week. Uh, having said that, but thank you if you want to support the show for the price of a cup of coffee. Yeah, keep it growing and more importantly going um and um and thanks how as long well. did it take you to think of that <laughs> they come to me in the middle of the night kev <laughs> and what i do is i write them down and then i i screw them up and i throw them in the bin like your ideas 
I don't want to know about your growing and going in the middle of the night. Thank you very much. Oh, oh I see the connotation you're talking Well, I thought it was quite a good one, but um, it is good. Maybe I need to work on that one just a little bit more. <laughs> uh, thank you to Ian Traherne, our fabulous guest today. And we will be back here maybe <laughs> next week. Bye bye. Bye bye. The Fujicast is an independent loading zone production. Email the show with your questions and words of wisdom to click at fujicast.co.uk. Email any complaints and political nonsense to our wives who will deal with your comments in their own good time and in their own good way.